Hey, everybody. Hope you're having a great day today. On today's show, we are uh, very lucky to have a, an amazing guest with us, uh, Ms. Deb Shakti. She's a quantum healer. She's a clairvoyant. She is a lady of amazing energy, and she has changed the lives of people all over the world. She's going to share her insights on the world of consciousness and how we can sort of access a higher level of ourselves, how we can heal ourselves, and come a little bit closer to understanding the things that we currently don't. So, it's going to be action-packed show. We're going to do some deep dives. So sit back, relax, get comfortable, and we'll be right back right here on Quantum Ladder Podcast. Welcome back to Quantum Ladder Podcast. My name is Louis Borges. Joining me on today's episode, my good friend and co-host, Marquise Williams. How are you, buddy? I'm fantastic, man. Ready to rock and roll as usual. Ready to rock and roll. Ready to get deep. Deep yeah. into the world of consciousness and healing and all the amazing things that come from it. And it's, you know, we're in the science realm now, not so much the paranormal, but there right. seems to be a, a distinct divide in the science world of people who believe or are spiritual and people that don't. And a lot of people think, hey, if you don't have proof and you can't measure this, it doesn't exist. We beg to differ. And our guest today is somebody who will probably make you think differently after hearing her speak. Uh, our guest today is Deb Shakti. She is a quantum healer. She's also the co-producer of the Alien Abduction Answers movie with John Yost. I've spoken with her about a year ago and was just blown away, blown away by her talents and just her overall energy. So we're super happy to have her on the show today. Warm welcome, Ms. Deb Shakti. Thanks, guys. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much. Excited. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, it's yeah. our pleasure. Definitely our pleasure. You, sure. uh, your reputation precedes yourself. We put a picture of the upcoming episode on Facebook <laughs> last night, and I think we had 80 people overnight. In the morning, it's like, it. what? Yeah. <laughs> like, what did I get? Like, wow, like, a picture, yeah. you know, but uh, a lot of people are anticipating this episode, and we're happy to have you. Uh, for anyone who's not familiar with you or your work, maybe tell us a bit about yourself and what got you into this uh, line of work that you're doing now. Okay. Well, um, I, I work in the realm of quantum consciousness, which is everything. I just work with everything. I believe all things are conscious. and um, But I'm split right down the middle between being a very spiritually aligned, uh, you know, uh, kind of, you know, explorer, if you will, in the realm of consciousness and all things that, that go with it. And science. I've always been a big science geek since I was a little child. But to be fair, I came in like this. I came in being able to perceive 
manipulate, interact with all forms of consciousness and energy. Um, I thought everybody worked that way, lived that way. And, uh, you know, little kids just assume that what they experience is what everybody experiences. And it became very blatantly clear that that wasn't the case in, in my life. Uh, but I've, from earliest memory, have had contact with, you know, extraterrestrial beings, with, uh, you know, anything that you would call, like interdimensionals, some people call angels, uh, things that don't even have physical form. Um, I've always been very psychic, uh, telepathic. I call it telempathic because it comes with feeling, not just words. Um, and then also the ability to use energy and, and, and kind of move it a little bit or, or guide the person who is feeling ill, for instance, to work with their own energy and balance it out and, and feel better. Um, so I've, you know, as I came up in, in the world and, and realized that I wasn't supposed to talk about certain things in school, especially it was a parochial school, it was very conservative. Um, I kind of kept quiet about it, but I still had all of these experiences and I was very curious, a very curious person. My first word was why, by the way. So poor, my poor parents. Love that. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I, I quickly realized that there are ways to amplify or control or uh, be able to emphasize some of these gifts with certain practices you know i grew up during the hippie revolution you know and and george harrison was one of my heroes i thought he was amazing and when they started working uh you know with with uh, transcendental meditation and yoga and all of that i was all about it and as soon as i started getting interested in it bam life came along and gave me the experience of meeting an old well, to me, a 13-year-old, he seemed old, an old yogi who, weirdly enough, was living in a little studio apartment in Memphis, Tennessee, right across the river from this little town in Arkansas that I was living in at the time. My dad was in the military and then the Justice Department. We moved around a lot. But I met this little yogi, and he just kind of, like, galvanized me to uh, want to learn. Uh, he... he somehow he got it through to me that he could explain some of this stuff, how it worked. So I became a yogi at that time. And then he tricked me into becoming a yoga teacher about two years later by faking sick. And uh, I was very shy and didn't want to ever do that. I never saw myself doing that, but he tricked me into it and I loved him. So I, I started teaching. And then, uh, and then it kind of took off from there. You know, you learn yoga, you learn, <clears throat> and you learn, breath work, um, mantra, you know, sound technology, using your body, and it balances your energies. It balances the energy field that is your template to your physical body so that you can perceive more and you can utilize that energy better. So that just kind of took off, uh, you know, in my teen years. And then, and then I was very, very interested in the mind and in the brain, the human brain. So studied, uh, you know, basic psychology and things like that. And then went to university and started uh, uh, 
studying clinical psychology with the major focus on hypnotherapy and biofeedback. And that's where I learned hypnotherapy from the clinical, from the top school at the time. Uh, it was an award-winning school for that uh, with the world's most renowned hypnotherapist uh, at the time leading it. And so I was very fortunate. I just kind of found my way in there by hook or crook and learned the clinical. But then along with that, I, you know, I, I had all these gifts. And so in sessions uh, where I was, you know, I was still a student and I was being supervised, um, I would, you know, naturally use the rest of my gifts and, and my, uh, my boss, who was also, you know, the person supervising me, took me aside and said, look, you, if you want to keep doing it this way, it's awesome because miracles are happening in your sessions and you're just a student. But once you graduate, you won't be able to be accredited um, in, in the APA because they're not going to let you do that. You have to follow a certain structure. Mm -hmm. So you'll have to decide if you want to go one way or the other. And thankfully, I went the other because I'm like, well, I, again, grew up in the question authority days. Uh, I just said, I, nobody's going to tell me how to do this. I, you know, I want to learn the structure and the tools, but I have so much more. And I didn't feel like it was fair for people coming to me for uh, therapy to not have the full package. So that kind of set me off on that. And, and all along the way, I still had all of these experiences with otherworldly beings and uh, other dimensional experiences, astral travel, out of body. You know, I, I studied remote viewing. I've always been a person who loved to continue my education because it helps me to explain at least to myself, if not to others, how what I can do and what they can do actually works. So quantum physics, once I hit that, it was all over because quantum physics literally puts scientific language to what the ancients have always been saying, which is we're all one. You know, uh, quantum physics says energy neither, uh, neither is created nor is it destroyed. It only changes form and function uh, via its vibrational state, basically. Mm. So that means nothing. It, everything is always happening, you know, and it's all connected in the same place, in the same moment, if you can get your head around that. So yeah. that's kind of, it's kind of it in a nutshell as far as, you know, how I view my work, because it doesn't matter whether I'm focusing on doing energy work or teaching a yoga class or assisting a person with quantum hypnotherapy um, or even channeling. It's all the same thing. We're connecting to the universe, basically cosmic mind, which is us. I, I was thinking about what, you know, the, the idea that consciousness, you know, the idea that this, this field that you're talking about, you're talking about quantum consciousness and transcendental mm -hmm. meditation. And the idea that it's not scientific to me is, is kind of a, it's like we're missing a really big piece of what's going on in this experience. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've been listening to uh, Mo Gaudat a lot lately. The, uh, you know, I'm sure you, you're yes. familiar with him. And yes. I, I, I've recently fallen in love with his commentary. I mean, this guy, mm -hmm. we're talking ex, you know, I think he's like, he was at a Google executive. Um, he worked in the AI department, so obviously you know why I'm interested in that. But he talks about meditation and mindfulness, and and then he talks about consciousness and about 
all these different things he mentioned in a, in a in a podcast where he, he was asked about how much we know about the physical world <laughs> and we we study you know these biologists or geneticists will study dna and they, they say we we know three percent of the human genome or dna and we're like well now we got it all figured out there's 97 yeah. percent that we don't know and so there's this this entire realm that ancient you know philosophers and gurus and, and spiritual teachers have been saying hey there's something more going on here yes. and now all of a sudden we're starting to learn scientists for example are starting to talk about yeah there's something else going on here so yeah. to, you know this is pretty interesting that you you know you took that path and now all of a sudden it's like we're watching and you get to see this in real time the the tone the paradigm has shifted to include that that aspect of it isn't it fascinating i mean i I count myself as the luckiest person in the universe to have incarnated at this time here because I, I keep, you know, I keep pulling in information and what, what is being told to me or what I'm telling myself from a higher level, which I think is more apropos than somebody else. You're channeling somebody else. Really you're channeling other, you're just tying into other higher levels of yourself and getting the information. But but really what I, the information I'm getting is this incarnation right now, this timeline that you and I and, and Louis are all living in, in in your audience, this is the one where we literally change everything. We're always changing everything, but this is where we literally change the way human species and earth lives from here on out. And, uh, and we're right here at a tipping point. We can go either way. I've been told we go up and we, you know, we join the rest of the cosmic community, basically, who are all kind of looking at us going like, what is wrong with these kids who are still playing like they're in kindergarten when we've been giving them, you know, right. courses, they're still not quite getting it. But anyway, um, I have great hope for humanity and, and I have great compassion as well. We live in crazy times because I think the paradigm that my belief says we created all of this and we created this little construct which is third dimensional earth life as humans it's we're kind of finished with this little science lab and it's starting to deconstruct and that's why everything looks like it's falling apart and people are full of fear and anger and they feel lost and and uh helpless but it has to happen so that we can see or part of the greater, the greater uh, part of creation that, that it's not just this little box that we've been stuck in for a while. Yeah, I've actually got a perfect video clip talking about that, the different levels of consciousness. You mentioned the the, the third element or sort of the uh, the third degree kind of thing. And third density, we're, yeah. We're, yeah, we're at the end of that and there are others. So we'll take a look at this. About a shift in consciousness from the levels of 3D to 5D. What does this really mean? what this really means is that 3D is a level of the body where you identify as the body. And these are all the lower levels of consciousness here. These are going to be the beings that are stuck in their childhood trauma or mainstream desires of society or fear and many more. And 4D starts with a level of courage where you have the courage to face your shadows. This is also the levels of understanding that not everyone has your best interest at heart. And that can include belief systems and in other systems if you know what I mean. 
Because at the level of courage, you actually have the courage to be different, no matter what everyone else believes. And the level of 5D is a level of the soul, where you realize that all of reality is of the spiritual nature. And you realize that love is the answer. So those that are calling out those that are in falsehood that are from the political arena are always going to be in the 4D place. Because you'll find that that's all about logic and reason. And when you're in the level of logic and reason, it's super easy to tell what is truth and what is false. And the level of being able to tell truth from falsehood is actually this threshold right here, the threshold from 3D to 4D, because when you enter 4D, you can recognize truth. So 4D pulls up 3D to a higher level of consciousness by doing many things, from showing them why it's logical to heal themselves to face their shadows, or to have the courage to, or to have the neutrality to face their emotions and feel them instead of bypass them, and so on. 5D gives 4D something to fight for, which is love itself. So at a collective level, this is why every level of consciousness matters. 5D is not better than 4D, it's just different because we need those people in 4D to stand up to the darkness. Just because somebody is not focused on the spiritual nature of reality, if they're having the courage to stand up to whatever system is oppressing them, we need that. This is all going to be dependent on where the soul's level is at before incarnation. Because a soul might have actually been from the fifth density and came and reincarnated into the third density realm in order to help humanity and already have learned all of these lessons. So then they're choosing to focus on the 5D frequencies because possibly they've remembered what their mission was before they came into this planet. But some beings actually might be quite the opposite and might have came in and had a lot of problems with pride in their last life. And so them just moving into the level of courage is a huge improvement. And every soul is on a different path. And also you can move through all of the levels of consciousness in one lifetime if you are devoted enough. So just imagine it like this. In this reality, a soul might have completed up to the level of willingness in all of its past lives. So that means it starts its next level of the game in the frequency of willingness, because that's the amount of wisdom that it's gained as a soul. So then in order to complete the game, it's moving from willingness all the way up to enlightenment. Or it could be starting at any of these frequencies, really. So just know that every level of consciousness plays its part. And as a collective, since we have reached a level of courage, we will not exterminate ourselves because we are in truth. What's happening right now on the planet is that falsehood is being exposed by the truth. Can you guys hear me okay now? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know what happened. My uh, my mic seems to be working good. No. Self-muted itself. So apologies for that. But that video basically is exactly what you were just talking mm -hmm. about. Debs. We're at the end of that third realm. There's no need for those sort of low-lying energies anymore mm -hmm. if we're trying to, you know, attain higher levels of sentience and understanding and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the realm of love versus the realm of fear is night and day in terms of energy and resonance. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of who I am and, and what I'm all about. And that's what I teach in my classes. Uh, it's what I teach in private lessons. And it's every single session that I work with, no matter what service a person comes to me for and just in my daily conversations, my aim is to teach people something so that they can leave feeling more empowered and more connected to that higher level of themselves than they were before. I think that's that's really what I'm here for. And I don't do anything in these sessions other than just kind of hold space and allow people to make these discoveries for themselves. You know, um, yes, I have a lot of education. Yes, I have a lot of practice. But that is just kind of the spoken words and the things that we talk about, the things that come out of my voice are just a carrier way for that higher level information to come through energetically for people. Mm. So 
Love that guy's explanation, though. It's perfect. It's a great presentation. I, you, you talk about this idea of information coming through. Um, not to dip my toes in this conversation in the UFO field, but Gary Nolan talks about this idea of a download. And by the way, so does Mo Gaudet, just to bring that in there a little bit, you know. I thought that was so interesting to hear that from somebody who's, you know, we're talking about a CEO here. This guy is, he's hes a brilliant mind. A One brilliant of the most scientist. brilliant businessmen yeah. on the planet. Yeah. yeah, and he's talking about meditating and receiving a download to write his books. Yeah. Um, so information is passing through from somewhere else. It's an, it's an idea that now the scientific community, at least some aspects, very, very uh, small elements of it are coming through. But these these voices are not just like random people. Yeah. Just like you said, they're really important figures in in, um, in the world today. That's why I feel with this guy right here. He's a perfect example. Yeah. Whitley Strieber. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. What a sweetheart, too. And, uh, you know, he's he's done more for getting a lot of these concepts out into the world than than almost anyone uh, just through his writings and, and so courageously too, because, you know, the things that he first was writing about, uh, he got made fun of uh, a lot and, and he got chastised and he got, you know, basically blacklisted in the writer's community even for a while because they thought he was so fringe, but now everybody's talking about the things that, that he was talking about. But I have to say um, these these downloads that you're speaking about, Mark, there's, here's, here's kind of the scenario, and Louis, you may have heard me say this before, so pardon me and, and listeners if you've heard this, but I, I, this is just something that came to me several years ago. I call us Terranauts, you know, how we have astronauts who go out into space. We're Terranauts. We are spiritual beings who came here to this place to make discoveries and to explore. And to be able to do that because it's a physical, slow-moving, energetic space uh, that that spirit, you know, spirit just doesn't have form. It it has to put some form on to be able to interact with a physical thing. So I call these bodies spacesuits. This is our spacesuit, okay? And the onboard operating system is the brain, okay? And the software is consciousness. However, because this is such a rudimentary, small, slow-moving, kind of clunky, you know, apparatus that we're moving around in, kind of like our first astronauts were in those big clunky suits that didn't work that great, but thankfully they worked. Um, we have just so much space in that operating system for information. So it's kind of like a flash drive, okay? The brain is like a flash drive. And everything else that we are, which is everything, is like the cloud. That's where all information lives. It's in the cloud, right? If we're using the computer yeah. language. So how do we access the cloud, which is also us, with our little bit of software, we do it with certain practices. And there are thousands of practices. It's not just one. Some people do it with transcendental meditation. Some people do it with breath work. Some people do it with ecstatic dance. Some people do it by being an artist and creating art or music. Anything that gets you in the flow state, to use a common uh, vernacular, the flow state being the theta brainwave state, 
Okay. Anything that gets you there helps you to access the cloud easily. And then you have to be intelligent enough and with enough, you know, education or experience or carry around enough information within that little hard drive up here, the little flash drive, to know what search engine to use and what search words to use to access right. it. Okay, so it is a constant learning process, but you can, we all have access to the cloud. Most people have been raised to believe this is all there is, this, and this is them, and it's not. This is a spacesuit. We take it off when we're finished with this experiment, and we go back up and, you know, join the cloud. Uh, but the, the key to all this is the the Google, if you will, or whatever search engine you like, is your pineal gland. It's a tiny little pea-sized gland up in the center top of your brain. It is filled with thousands of microscopic crystals. And when you do certain practices, like some of the ones I teach in my classes and, and in my sessions, when you do certain practices, you get into a state of vibration physically. You're using your breath, you're using your muscles, you're using your voice. And all of those crystals start to vibrate at the same rate of oscillation at some point. If you can get there by doing some of this stuff, there's a coherency. And then guess what happens? It creates the piezoelectric effect. It's the same thing that runs the first radios that ever were made. It runs all of your computer systems. It runs your smartwatch. It runs your, your sound equipment, everything. It, it, it runs the biggest satellite array and it runs everything electronically. It is our cosmic satellite dish. It is a giant radio transceiver in our heads. Every, every one of us has it. Most of us don't know it's there. Most of us don't understand what it's for. It does have physical things that it does. It, it creates hormonal effects and things for the body. But for the most part, it is what the yogis and mystics call the third eye. Not to get too woo-woo on you, but it is how we connect with cosmic consciousness or our greater selves. And it's really simple to do. Once you know how to do it, it becomes more powerful every time you do it. So that also is kind of my work is to teach people how to do this and, and that it's actually, they actually can do this. Anybody can do it. And we've got some pictures of uh, your work. You know, these are, I think, some mock-ups because for privacy reasons, they're not actual. And yeah. you mentioned that nobody is allowed in during these sessions, which I think yeah. is proper as well, too. You're mm -hmm. trying to build a certain level of energy and sort of acceptance. You don't need cameras and that type Trust. of thing. But yeah. just to illustrate to people what you do, this is an example of one of your sessions. Maybe you can talk us through it. Yeah, this actually was at our, our last big retreat up at... Uh, a place called Big Arbor Vita in Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin, actually pretty close to Canada. And it's a gorgeous place out in the middle of the big woods by Crystal Lake. Um, and this was what the one we call our contact and consciousness mo modalities tour. Um, we were doing things like uh, CE5, which for some of your listeners may not know what that is, but it's close encounters of the fifth kind or, or human initiated ET contact, where we do certain practices out in uh, a remote location under the stars and literally 
make contact with extraterrestrial or other types of interdimensional beings. Um, we practiced uh, kundalini yoga and breath work, meditation practices. I did group, what you're seeing here is a group, what I call a quantum immersion. It's uh, a group form of quantum hypnosis. And, the, and we also had, um, for the first time this year, we, we're always looking at different types of making contact with non-local consciousness. So we actually had two physical mediums there, which was really fringe, and they came and did seance. And wow, did we have some crazy experiences with that mm -hmm. too. But, but what you're seeing there are people who are deep in the trance state. And once they're in that trance state, the theta state, they're able to access all of that cloud. Uh, and I want to make sure everybody understands what that theta state feels like. There are three indicators that you're in that state, the flow state or the theta state. When you lose sense of time, you lose sense of your own body, and you lose sense of what's happening around in the environment around you, you're in the flow state. So if you've ever been immersed in a really good book or a project, or you've been, you know, for me, I was a lifelong ultra runner. So an uh, athlete, you know, you're on a great run and suddenly you realize, oh my gosh, four hours have passed and where am I? I was in a float state and I was just literally tapped in to the, the greater reality. And that's when you get all that inspiration. You hear this from musicians, you hear it from great scientists, from philosophers. So I want everybody to understand you can always access that and you do many times a day, uh, but you just don't recognize it or maybe have a name for it. And anytime you get those three things happening, you forgot to eat your lunch because you were so entranced with, you know, the drawing you're doing or, or whatever. Um, you've been dancing at a festival for several hours with your friends and you realize it's almost gone. You're like, whoa, how did that happen? That's, that's the theta state. And that is the golden moment, the place where you can access anything. All you have to do is consciously send your intention out and get the feeling state of what it would be like to have that. And if you practice that enough, you can get really good at it. You can manifest really well. So you can manifest healing. You can manifest positive change you can manifest creativity whatever you need and some of the modalities you use are sort of like the uh, the native americans with drums yes uh, sage feathers that type of thing mm -hmm. right? absolutely anything to get people <clears throat> into a uh, out of their regular everyday state right in our state in our everyday state we're just, we have a lot of noise. We have a lot of information hitting us all the time. We have lots of talk, 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 talk. Uh, we're time bound and all of this. So I use any type of ritual, if you will, to get people out of that world and into their inner world. And often these ancient practices are the ones that are kind of like in the global collective consciousness field that's how we tap in you you burn a little incense suddenly you're in a different place because it feels sacred right you, you yeah. drum you chant uh you know um you smudge things like that it's it's like 
I don't know if you, either of you ever practiced martial arts or yoga, but you know, if you go in, I'm I'm a martial artist too. Well, retired, but um, you don't just go in there in your street clothes and walk in there on the mat with your shoes into the yeah. dojo. It's 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 respect, right? You put on your uniform, you're clean, you get a clean mind. You go in, you bow, and it's very it's a, a totally different energy, right? before you practice the same with yoga you go into wherever you're practicing yoga and you step on the mat we call it getting on the mat the minute you step on the mat you're in a different world so that's what these things that you see in those pictures i'm doing they don't really well maybe they do do things but uh, because they do help you feel the energy in a different way they help you pay attention to the energy where you don't have all of that it turns the volume down on the outside it's making me think that that's I, I got so many thoughts. There's a I can't think of her name at the moment, but she's um, she's been working with a bunch of academics on this on this thing that you're talking about now. Um, the idea of, well, I guess connecting right of connecting of, mm -hmm. of accessing information of um, and as you mentioned, this ritualistic nature of how we are um, when you do this, when you have a ritual, a practice like that that devotion, it does something to you. There's something about it that's important. And she says, even if you don't, I gotta, I'll got i think of her name eventually and then I'll say it. But she says, even if you don't believe in a God, you should have some kind of spiritual practice because there's something that's very beneficial to the human psyche for doing those kinds of spiritual and ritualistic practices um, just be, just it, whatever they may be. Yes, so. it's a buffer, for instance, but, but quantum, quantum science has a term for that. It's called conditioned space. Have you ever mm. heard this term? Conditioned space. So think about this, Marcus. Have you ever, it, it doesn't matter what your belief system is, but have you ever gone to a place where there's like an ancient temple or an old cathedral or, or something like that Mm -hmm. And it may not be your belief system all, but you walk into that place and suddenly you're just like, oh, you feel something completely different. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because the more you do something consistently in the same place, and if there's more than one of you doing it over a long period of time, it literally creates a Faraday cage in that location and it holds in all that energy and all of that intention. Mm. So if you go to a sacred place, it, it could be, you know, out in the desert where the Native Americans were doing their uh, practices, you know, uh, you may not, there may not even be any visible sign that anybody ever lived there. But if you walk into that space, immediately you feel something. And I know probably each of you have felt that somewhere at mm -hmm. the time. Yep. Uh, that's why we as meditation teachers say, you know, it's best if you can meditate around the same time every day and if possible, the same place every day and do mm -hmm. the same types of things. There is a, and I'm going to paraphrase it because it's, it's much more complex than this, but there is a physics um, formula that says intensity times duration equals force. Mm -hmm. So the more intently you do something, the more focused you do something over a period of time. So that's in, that's intensity. For a, a greater period of time, that's duration. It equals the outcome of what you're doing. 
So you could take an, an eyedropper and drop water on a rock for tens of thousands of millions of years. Eventually, it's going to create a hole in that rock, yeah. right? That's duration with very high intensity. Or you could take a fire hose and shoot it at that rock for <laughs> seconds and blow a hole through it. That's intensity. You put those two things together, you have an unstoppable force. And that's mm -hmm. that's what's created in a conditioned space. So what people are trying to do now is kind of, uh, what do we call it, uh, retrofit or back engineer what mm -hmm. all the ancient practices have been doing with you know, drumming, chanting, dancing. Uh, think of Native American who do like the ghost dance for days and days and days, or what Tutsi who do that special dance or the Dogons. Why are they doing that? Well, number one, it's part of their spiritual practice. Number two, when you put that much effort, especially when you're doing physical effort and lots of breathing, and you wear the body out, suddenly the mind is clear and you have direct access. Mm -hmm. And uh, and there's some physiological reasons for that too. So some of the practices that I teach people in my practice uh, help them to create that uh, piezo effect uh, in, the, in the pineal gland, but it also stimulates the pineal gland, which secretes a visionary hormone called DMT. Hmm. Did yeah. you know you actually make DMT, DMT in your own brain? And that's why when you meditate, sometimes you have real visions. Spirit it's, molecule, it's, right? It's Isn't a spirit molecule. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. like drinking ayahuasca or uh, taking psilocybin mushrooms or LSD or whatever. It's But it is created in the most perfect package, in the most perfect dose for you, always. So why not? And you feel great. And and you get all of these insights that you would never have just walking around in your everyday world talking to everybody. Yeah. It's almost like trying to listen to Beethoven with Metallica and full black. going to drown out the other. <laughs> bad matchup now that I think about it. Yeah, we could do a remix of that. No problem. Yeah. Oh Before we go to break, I want to ask you real quick about where hypnotherapy uh, sort of lies within your work. Sort mm -hmm. of, you know, we've been talking about how we can all access consciousness realm. Yeah. But is it sort of for real deep traumas or for sort of forgotten memories, i.e. the abduction experience and things like that? Where does hypnotherapy play into all this? All over the place. Uh, hypnotherapy is nothing more. You all go into a hypnotic state hundreds of times a day mm -hmm. without knowing it uh, often. Uh, it's just, again, it's that focused flow state, but it's it's in increments, right? Tiny increments that you may not notice. But hypnotherapy actually guides a person deeply into that quantum space, quantum hypnotherapy. Clinical hypnotherapy may not go so deeply, uh, but they may drop in on their own anyway. But the way I do it is I get them into that space where they are absent. And we do these practices before we go in. That's, that's mandatory in my sessions. You have to do some of this stuff with me and you have to practice it before the sessions for a little bit of time to get good at it. Then we do it, then we go in. And when you do, you access the quantum field, which holds all information. And you can go anywhere at any time and access anything because it's all you. And what people finally realize when they come out of the session, if they don't remember it, I, I, you know, I always provide a recording anyway so that they can hear what's coming out of their mouths because they're flabbergasted 
that they're speaking about, maybe technical things they don't know anything about or spiritual things they never were, you know, that they didn't care about at all. And suddenly they have all of this access to wisdom and it's quite amazing. Uh, but, but that's, that's where it comes from that it, it really, it is just a way to get people to relax enough, to go deep enough into the field, to let go enough to trust. And then they have free will to go wherever they want and pick up whatever they need. And, and it's always, we always just give a suggestion. You're going to go to the most appropriate, uh, place and time, if you will, the most appropriate location in non-local consciousness, and you're going to access the information you need for what you came here for today. And it always happens. It's amazing. And because it happens, then healing happens if they need healing. Right. So it's yeah, good it's for like You let your guard down, and then the things that you're subconsciously blocking can now enter into your life and do the work they need to do, right? Absolutely. Or that maybe someone else has blocked for you. I'm yeah. starting to get a lot, believe it or not, I'm getting a lot, and I can't say a whole lot here. I'll be careful. I'm getting a lot of people who have worked for, shall we say, kind of deep state programs and are out of them now who wonder what happened or, or who want mm -hmm. to heal from some of the things that happened. And wow, wow, wow. You know, there are people who have kind of put programs in there. Um, you can't you can't hypnotize somebody to do something they would never do normally, but you can get them to trust you enough to go along with your agenda and do that. And so a lot of the work that I do with those people is to recover those memories and then to be give themselves grace for it and to see that it's all part of a bigger picture it's all okay anyway i get a lot of flack for that because people are like no there's evil in the world and you shouldn't condone that and i do not condone evil but some of the things that happen through those practices of you know darker forces or whatever they're in they're like inserted into our experience so that we have contrast and we can make better decisions for ourselves and grow. And so actually those people are our teachers. So, you know, you can believe what you want, but that's kind of where I'm going from. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't want to say I, I, yeah, I do remember it was Diana Pasulka who was who oh, was talking Diana to Pasulka. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm sorry, I, I couldn't think of it at the moment, but that's who I was referring to when talking about the, the spiritual practices, the, the ritual. She mentions this a lot about how, you know, like I said, and then, of course, um, this other idea that you mentioned. Well, I, maybe I should wait until we get back from break. because I don't want to I don't want it to lead into something and then have to break right afterwards. So yeah. I'll, I'll hold. OK, I'll so hold we'll go. We'll have our uh, five minute break. Everybody refill your drinks and uh, we'll see you all back here shortly right on uh, Quantum Ladder Podcast.
Oh, we are back with the second half of Quantum Ladder Podcast. Joining us today is the lovely and amazing Deb Shakti. Uh, there's been some static in your mic, but I'm convinced it's not your hookups. I know you checked all your wires. I think it's your energy. I know some people go into room, oh. the lights flicker. I actually think it is your energy that the electronics are picking up because you've double checked all your hookups. Yeah. It's, it's not right. that. It happens. I apologize. I, I try to buffer as much as I can, but uh, often when I do like I do these global uh, online uh, broadcasts where we get hundreds, sometimes thousands of people on at a time, and the energy gets real high. Wow. Sometimes it just blinks out. Yeah, uh, yeah. And they'll come back on, or the lights will start. You know, it's kind of wow. funny. That's a sign well, that you. this is legit stuff, not made up, yeah. right? I would tell you to turn down your awesome, but I don't think you can do that. So yeah. oh, <laughs> y'all are just off the charts. We love doing this, and uh, I think yeah. it shows in the recordings too, right? We're not doing this for money. There's no commercials in our shows. We're not selling coffee or baseball caps. This is to uh, inspire and inform, enlighten people, and uh, you know we're th that's what we're here to do. So before the break, Marquise, you had something on your mind. Let's start you off well, with that. Yeah. yeah. Well. To start off with, to be honest, it, it is selfish because I, I do this because it's cathartic, right? I have to. Mm -hmm. If I don't do this, I would go crazy because there's so many things in my head and no one to talk to about it. So in a sense, this is kind of selfish. But yes, we, we, Yeah, this is definitely therapy for me. But I wanted to say, and it's more of, a, of something that I wanted to get your perspective on versus a question. Um, because you were talking about the flow state and... I've, I've read a bunch of books. One of them was Atomic Habits by James Clear. Oh, um, another one. Do you like that? Okay, oh, so that's a great yeah. one. Yeah. Um, I read uh, Robert Greene's Mastery, which is one of my favorite books of all mm -hmm. time because it, it kind of gives me an idea of my thing is, and I do have a condition, by the way, a, a psychological condition that it, it makes me um, very effective when it comes to communicating in, in, in terms of learning things but ineffective in terms of my everyday life. <laughs> right. So, so I think, I know. It's, it's so hard, isn't it? It's a double-edged sword, a double-edged sword. But I, but reading those books, thinking thinking back to, to what I learned from them and listening to what you're saying now, there is a theme, a consistent theme among pretty much everybody that talks about these kinds of things. And it's this idea that, that there is a state of mind that we're all looking for. Everyone's looking for a state of mind that is in terms of the flow or focus that is uh what it, what is buddhists call it um they call it it's a medit zen Samadhi. yeah right or whatever the the, the likeness yeah. of zen would be yes. what do you what do you think i mean i guess i'm going to turn this into a question how do people attain this feeling of and i, I hope you can understand my translation here of zen where everything you do in life, no matter what, washing the dishes, you know, walking yes. down the street, walking your dog, sitting in, in just being present. How do we attain that feeling of flow? Well, two, two things. Number one, I truly believe practice. Okay. Consistency. Condition your space. Your space. Number two is just to trust. If you trust that... Everything is happening for a good reason. And I know it's really hard to accept in, in this culture in this day. But if you are indeed everyone and everything, mm. and these are all just facets on a big jewel, and, and each facet is you looking at it from a different point of perspective, and you're looking at all the other facets thinking they're other people, 
if you could just trust that you are really connected to everything and that you cannot make a mistake, it's all happening for a much bigger, very complicated purpose, then suddenly it's almost like a, a liberation. And I think that is also, you know, part of what Buddhists and yogis and, and, and the great spiritual masters are saying is you want to attain that state of liberation where you're not tied to any dogma, you're not tied to any political faction, you're not tied to anything. You can just be content. The yogis call that santosha, the state of contentment. You can be content washing the dishes or walking a dog or, you know, um, digging a ditch to help your neighbor not get drowned in an oncoming hurricane when the floodwaters come. You know, we can face difficult things if we can remain in that neutral kind of, it's a choice. You have to make a choice to decide to allow yourself to do this and not get pulled all these different directions. Um, here's something that has come through for me significantly in the last few years, and that is that everything in creation, the universe, the Y-O universe, mm. is neutral. It is neutral in its value until an observer, here comes quantum physics, you know, nothing, they say nothing really exists other than mm. probability until an observer perceives it, mm. right? Schrodinger's cat. Um, everything in the universe is neutral in value until an observer perceives it, i.e. you, and gives it, assigns it a value. It is your choice as to what value to assign it to. And I use this analogy a, a lot with people. Uh, you and I, Marcus, are, are, are standing on a cliff looking out at the ocean. And I'm in complete bliss because I love the ocean and I just can't get enough of it. And I love to surf and I love to swim and dive and all of that. And the fish and the animals. And you're over here next to me and it's a sunny day. There's nothing wrong. But you're over here quaking in fear because you witnessed your whole family die in a tsunami. Oh, yeah. We're both looking at the same thing, but we have assigned right. it different values because of the lens of our past experiences. So it is, it behooves us to remove those lenses once in a while. And it takes a great deal of consciousness to remember we even are looking through lenses of experience and just see what is. And I think that's the whole, you know, practice of Zen or the Tao or whatever. You're just, you really want to see life for what it is. But it is so layered with everybody else's definitions and labels and all that. And so it creates separateness or a feeling of separateness and divisiveness. So, you know, we can apply that to, you know, uh, the racism, uh, to uh, political division, to, you know, countries that, that are fighting over borders that don't exist. They don't exist. No. You go out in space and look at the earth, there's no borders. Yeah. Right? So I don't know if that answered your question, but to be able to attain that state, I call it that little drop of nectar. Mm. Every, even every once in a while, it lasts you a long time. 
the quickest, most effective way I know to do that is to choose to practice whatever discipline you know, appeals to you the most, whatever feels the most pleasing to you that you will actually do, maybe even for one to three minutes a day, every day. Mm. And if you can get your mind quiet enough, that little drop of nectar seeps in and suddenly you see the world clearly, you see everything clearly, even just for a split second and the veil has been turned back. It might come right back in, but you know it's there. You can't turn the light on in a, in a dark room full of stuff and then turn it back off and not know that there's stuff in there after that. Mm. You can't Awareness. Yes. Awareness and uh, letting go, right? Let go. Okay. It's all about trust. Um, you know, the uh, some of the level of beings that I channel are called the, the teachers and the star teachers. They don't even have a name. I had I had to ask them to give us a name because people were asking who's talking for you. You know, when I was doing group sessions and stuff, and they said, "Well, you call us the star teachers or the teachers," but we have we're just you on a different frequency, having evolved past duality label making and divisiveness and karmic patterning and all that we're we're up here you're right here we're just slightly above you but we're you if you want to get your mind around it in a different way if you want to think about time they're us in the future but really they're us on a different layer of frequency and what they say is that you always have access to be able to do that um but you have to find a way to consistently shut down the monkey mind, even for a few moments, and just take a breath. You know? So um, in my classes, I, I run an online school called the Quantum Dojo, but it's kind of on hiatus now. Since the movie hit, it's just been nuts, and I haven't been able to keep up with it. But, but in some of those classes, I talk about training the puppy. You know, you get a you get a rambunctious little puppy, and it's fun, and it's cute, but it's all over the place. And after about three hours of nipping at your feet and tearing up your couch and all that, you're like, oh, I guess I have a responsibility to train this puppy. Well, the best way to train a puppy is to give it playtime that is functional, that teaches it boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. So, and also that wears it out. So you want to wear that puppy out by training it over and over again with repetition and reward. And once it gets tired, then you put it in its little kennel, give it its toys, its water, its bone, whatever, put a blanket over it so that it will go to sleep. It's tired. It's worn itself out. It goes to sleep and you can go off and do what it is you really need to do. Eventually, the puppy becomes so conditioned to that, your mind, that it will go into the kennel, your left brain, mm -hmm. what we're talking right. about, and now the, the analytical controlling yeah. part of your brain, the monkey mind, it'll go into the kennel and take a nap so that you can explore the rest of the universe, which is really your, your birthright. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with the puppy. You just need to learn how to train it. Mm. Yeah, we don't come into this world with instructions on how to do this stuff, right? And it's through, you know, repetition, um, discipline, all the, you know, self-restraint, boundaries, all those things. The same things you would do to a puppy, we have to do to ourselves to eliminate those layers of noise and all the rest. And you mentioned the fact that, you know, consciousness is 
is one. It is not separate from you. And uh, I've got a little video here uh, talking about how consciousness potentially never dies because it's external from the body. It is not limited to those same flesh and blood, you know, conditions that living a physical experience would, would present. So take a look at this. There's a theory in quantum physics that proposes we might be immortal. It's called the quantum immortality theory, and it suggests that our consciousness can never truly disappear. Even after death, it will continue to exist in parallel universes. The theory is based on the observer effect, which states that the act of observing something can change its outcome. This implies that our consciousness can have a direct impact on the universe and the events that take place within it. While the idea of quantum immortality may seem far-fetched, it's a fascinating concept that challenges our understanding of life and death and raises new questions about the nature of the universe and the role of consciousness within it. And that's basically what you were just saying previously. A lot of the, yeah. a lot of the same stuff, right? You cannot escape it. We are one. And uh, this is uh, the experience we think we are living is not really the experience. The observer is creating the experience. All of our realities we are creating by assigning purpose to those. Exactly. We assign values. Maybe you guys remember seeing, I can't remember which, which uh, sequel it was of The Matrix, where he meets the architect, where Neo meets the architect. He goes into this room and there's this, you know, old kind of nerdy old man in front of all these tv monitors right and it's showing neo in all these different things and he's got a remote control so you are the architect you are also neo you are the star of every program on in this infinite theater of tv monitors and attached to each one of them is a an archaic old tool called a DVD player. And in that DVD player is the movie of one of your, if you want to call them parallel lives, I call them alternate realities or other frequencies. And again, nothing exists other than a probability until you observe it and perceive it. Okay, so they're all on pause except for the one you're focusing on, which is like right now. It's the one that we're talking about, this one. The three of us, we're interacting in one movie. But maybe I get tired of talking, you guys, so I just hit pause, and I go here and hit play on this one, and on this one, I'm, you know, in another dimension, and I'm a floating rock or something, and I'm having all kinds of adventures, yeah. and I'm really wise, you know, and, and, and so it depends on, I mean, you exist in infinite universes, really, in infinite versions, and... Here's the kicker. Every time you make a choice between two or more things, you create more versions and universes. Mm. Yeah. Because they split off. They don't go anywhere. You created them. The you that, that chose to eat a Twinkie instead of an apple here is eating the Twinkie, but the other you is over here eating an apple. And eventually, it might still be really similar in your lives, but eventually eating that apple changes your whole life down the road and changes everything around it. So it is a completely different universe. So why do I bring this up? Because I want people to know that they are infinite and that they are 
infinitely faceted and they have a choice as to who they play in the role in the movie. And if you don't like this movie, there are practices you can do to lift your energy enough where you are perceiving and focusing on a completely different one or one that is more preferred and pleasing. And if you sustain that focus long enough, you've hit play and this one goes on pause. It doesn't go anywhere. And you can always revisit it, which is kind of like what we do when we travel in quantum hypnotherapy. Mm -hmm. But they all exist and they're all you, and you, you have access to them. I got it. Do you, that, you just presented one of my favorite moments of talking to somebody on this, on stream. I love when people bring up movie references and nobody ever does it usually. So um, thank you for bringing up with that. It was it was the Matrix Two, and yeah. when I when you said that, I thought about uh, two things. One is you got to see the movie everything everywhere all at mm. once mm. Uh, have you seen it already one of my favorite movies of all it time was so, it's because so it, i couldn't i did not expect it to be about i don't want to give it away don't give it away i have not seen no spoilers everyone needs to see it yeah it's and good you can sit it's, through it it's very complex but sit through yeah. it i promise it's worth it yeah and now that in the fact that so we're not bringing this up arbitrarily like there is a reason why, especially given your presence here and your conversation, what you're talking about, mm -hmm. it is absolutely relevant that everybody listening watches that movie yeah. um, ASAP. That's all I want. I, I can't give it away. I don't want to give it away. Because if I you say one it. word, it'll give it away. Yeah, you love it so much because you will recognize things that have happened to you in your life mm. that are similar to what's going on in that movie, and it will finally make sense to you, and you mm. won't be so lost. I think that's kind of the, the devastating sadness of the of culture that we're in right now. People feel disempowered, they feel lost, they feel helpless, and they're and it's absolutely a lie and it's an illusion, but it's falling apart. And I'm not gonna say anything else. <laughs> watch it, watch it, watch it. Watch it. <laughs> I want to ask you, how do you navigate criticism? I mean, obviously you believe in this wholeheartedly, you see the results, the people that have been in your session see personal results. But again, a lot of people in the science community, if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist, yeah. end of story. So yeah. how do you navigate that criticism? And what would you say to people that say, ah, this is a bunch of made up stuff because there's no data. In our opinion, there's no data yet necessarily that they can't yeah. quantify. But I mean, exactly. physics and metaphysics both exist. So that which we know and that which we can't see, both are equally relevant. But I'm curious as to your- Exactly. How I deal with it is number one, it's taken me 67 years to get here and I'm still scratching the surface, but I, I sustain it longer periods of time. I have learned to practice being a neutral observer and not take anything personally because really, People don't see you for who you are. They see you for who they are, mm. you know? And so, um, so I have great compassion for people. Uh, now, if they you know, they'll stand there and bash me in the face, uh, <laughs> then, we, then we have to deal with some... Well, it's not that martial arts, right? So I probably practice Aikido on them, use their emotion and, and, and get them out of the way and, you know, so I don't harm them or myself. But so that's the first thing is to be the neutral observer, not take anything personally, because obviously you have triggered a recognition of something in that person with what you have done. 
for good or for ill. And I think it's always for good. I don't think there is any ill. I think it's just we don't have the, the, the grand vision to see all of it at once. But then the second thing is to, um, oh gosh, I lost my train of thought there. It was about, uh, can you reframe the question again, Louis? The skepticism, people that try to throw stones at it and say there's nothing to this. Oh, yes. Okay. So you can't measure, for instance, remember the, the little video you played earlier with, 3D, 4D, 5D, you cannot measure 5D phenomenon with, or phenomena with 3D tools. It's too mm. rudimentary. It's, yeah. it's it's not vibrating high enough to be able to even capture the data. Are we getting there? Yes, because why? Because as a group, as a planet, as a species, well, the, we've hit critical mass where enough people are starting to wake up to there has to be something a little bit more than this, you know, they're at least suspecting. And they're starting to question and do these practices or explore. There's enough people doing that now that the vibrational state of our planet and our collective species has risen just incrementally enough that our scope of perception has widened enough and we're able to perceive more. Why do you think there are way more people seeing what you would call UFOs or spirits or channeling all of a sudden? Everybody's channeling. It's not made up. That is, people have broadened the scope of their perception, albeit some of them unwittingly. They don't know consciously that they have. But as a collective, our planet is growing up. Our species is growing up, and so we are raising vibrationally. And as we do, we'll be able to have more empirical data that appeals to those very scientific minds, the questioning minds, which bless them. I am a scientist too. I love science. I want our tools to get better. I want our, 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 our measuring devices to get better, and they are. So that's why I tell people, like, you know, we just aren't there yet. But if you can hang in there, you're going to see some proof very soon. And the way to have proof is to have a direct experience. So why don't you try a few of these practices and just give it a go for about a week or a month and see if you don't start to get some answers for yourself. Don't listen to me. Mm, try listen it. For yourself. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Direct experience is always the best teacher. Yeah, I was... I, I was thinking about you always this conversation. I mean, there are so many moments where I have a lot of thoughts. I'm going to try to compact them in, in, appropriately here. I, I was thinking as you were talking about this idea of non-attachment. That's the first thing that came to my mind earlier. That's the first mm -hmm. word I thought of because yes. you were talking about not being so invested in every single thing that happens and mm -hmm. don't 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 take it personally. And you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier about perspective, about how you view things. You can choose that. Yeah. Two people looking at the same thing can feel differently. But with this this element of non-attachment, uh, which has been talked about by Eastern philosophy forever, you can experience something different and have more choices about how you feel about something, right? It gives you choice, um, agency, as they say. And then the other thing that I was thinking about is this idea of a shift where there, there is this, there seems to be a, a global shift. There's something changing about the way, the nature of our perception of reality and what's out there. And although we can't use what the instruments we have today uh, perceive 
and measure and and document some of these things there is data and there isn't there isn't a, a, a there isn't an effect that we can observe which is why people are why scientists are talking about this stuff now they're really talking about more and more about even though we don't know what it is just like dark matter we observe the effect of these things you know, we know black holes exist, but we can't really prove how they exist yet. We're getting really close, uh, but we don't know what they are or what they're for. I have, a, a, you know, my personal thoughts about that. Uh, and yeah. I think that's just how, you know, we have black holes in every one of the atoms in every one of our cells. Yeah. And that's how we travel in consciousness. Yeah. You don't travel in craft, you know, for the most part, unless you're only going to travel in the third dimension where there's physicality. But when you daydream, when you imagine, when you dream, when you meditate, when you focus and start to create, you get in that theta state, you are traveling through wormholes in your own body. Every atom, every cell of your body contains a black hole, I think. And the ones out in space are just a reflection of the ones in our inner universe. You ever see that picture of like the universe and the and the neurons in your brain? Yes, right? yes. same like thing. It looks exactly one. the same, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And the, your thumbprint looks exactly like the rings of an ancient right. print when it's yeah. Right. My we last video clip here. Sorry, go ahead, Deb. We live in a holographic uh, creation. Holographic. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, just because you guys were touching on, you know, science, trying to grasp the idea of consciousness. And I just want to clarify, there is science behind that. It is not just all made up and hooey. So this video kind of explains briefly where science is at trying to explain and understand consciousness. So take a look. Of consciousness. Answering the question of what consciousness pertains is more complicated than you might think. The greatest philosophical thinkers that have ever lived, such as Socrates, Plato and Aristotle were unable to decipher this concept. Looking at more recent history, we can gain a greater understanding of what consciousness really is. For example, the famous René Descartes discussed this concept in the 17th century in his book, Discourse on Method, where he coined the phrase cogito ergo sum, which means, I think, therefore I am. The concept of consciousness was heavily scrutinized in the 20th century as the rise of behaviorism began to emerge, stating that consciousness is neither a definite nor a usable concept, emphasizing that observable behavior is the only important aspect of an individual, and that consciousness is merely a concept of ancient times where they believed in superstition and magic. But in the late 1990s, a philosopher by the name of David Chalmers proposed a theory of consciousness referred to as the hard problem, which suggests that the issue with trying to decipher consciousness concerns the subjective experience of consciousness itself. This is contrasted with the easy problem, which is the explanation of the physical structure that makes up consciousness, the brain, and its neural components. Fast forward to today, there are many contemporary theories which sounds consciousness. These include materialism and physicalism, which argue that consciousness arises from neural processes. Dualism, which posits a separation between the mind and the body. Panpsychism, which suggests that consciousness is a fundamental property of the universe. Integrated Information Theory, IIT, 
proposed by neuroscientist Giulio Tononi, which quantifies the level of consciousness in systems. Regardless of the theories that encompass consciousness, it is unlikely that we as a species will unravel the mystery of consciousness to an unquestionable degree at any time soon. Thank you for watching. Hmm. So yeah, I think for me the most interesting is that sort of panpsychism, right? Like it is, yeah, it is yeah. everywhere, it is all connected. <clears throat> it is the observer creating it and you cannot detach from that. And you know, we have physical limitations. We can only see certain spectrums, hear certain frequencies. So trying to say, well, just because we don't understand consciousness doesn't it means it doesn't exist. That could be a little bit ignorant because you know, you're trying to do the work of source essentially and you're just a limited yeah. mere mortal, you know? So yeah, yeah I mean, above you're our walking around in a limited <laughs> spacesuit with limited yeah. facilities, like you just brought up, you know, the the, the light spectrum is this mm. wide. It's yeah. probably yep. infinite, actually. Good. The human can only see this much of the visible light spectrum. Now, interestingly, though, we're beginning to develop tools to assist us to see other parts of the light spectrum. You know, a hundred years ago, we didn't have night vision cameras. Mm. We didn't have IR. Mm. We didn't have those kinds of ways to read those spectra. Now, you know, we have the James Webb telescope sending us pictures back from all of those spectrums that we couldn't see with the naked eye in recent history. So it doesn't mean these things don't exist. It means we just don't have a way to measure them to prove they exist, but they're knocking on our door all the time. And it behooves us to answer as explorers. Mm. Now, answer the door and see what else is out there, you know? And, 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 and every time you do, the construct of this rudimentary science lab starts to dissolve away to the point where you realize there is no science lab anyway. It was just something you built in your mind and yeah. you had some experiences and learned, but there's so much more to go explore. And uh, and it's fun and it's awesome and it's the best. So I choose that. Mm, I choose that. Mm-hmm. What do you got, Marquise? Any final thoughts before we... Uh, we I want to get into Deb's movie, but I want to give you the final chance if you got any questions still on your list. No, I, I, I don't want to, I, I tend to actually, just to be clear, I develop a lot of my questions during the conversation because I don't want to prepare something too much and then say something spontaneous comes up. Like, but you, you mentioned so many things and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, um, so I do have something to ask you about what you've been said, what you've said recently, um, in terms of the idea of the visual spectrum of light. Mm-hmm. The, the hubris of humanity <laughs> to, to think that we know that there's nothing else going on. I don't know what it is, what the FPS, the frames per second that our eyes have that we can perceive. But you mentioned this technology that we're de- we are developing with infrared and so forth. Now where we're perceiving a different spectrum of light and, and everything. Now we're also perceiving things that are happening so quickly yes. all around us all the time. By the way, um, cameras that are picking that are the you know these massive camera systems and sensor systems that are picking up things that are happening milliseconds that we're not right. It's almost like these things they they exist not only what you say at a higher frequency, but this frequency is also faster. Yeah. Right. Um, it is. Help me make sense of that a little bit. In fact, you hit the nail on the head. It's existing right here where you are always. Right. 
in one spot in, a, in what we call the singularity. We are all, everything that is in creation exists in the singularity, but within different layers of frequency. The higher the layer of frequency, you know, there is no good or bad or dark or light or anything, really. That's just labels that we give to the neutral uh, value of, of light. But the higher up in frequency you go, the higher the vibrational oscillation rate of, mm. let's just talk about physical matter right now. Things that we couldn't measure 10 years ago, now we're starting to see, like at CERN, you yeah, know, right. you can literally photograph the atoms smashing together. Yeah. How? How fast is that? How <laughs> right? Worlds, right? But the reason is because we are starting, because we're questioning, because we do things like more consciously express gratitude or we're more of service to others or we do things that raise our own vibrational frequency even slightly once you do that you're able to perceive that frequency right so uh this has been the human condition as long as we know uh, that we can recite i mean you know the there's a story about the uh, indigenous people in in uh, like Mexico or South America, the, the the tribal shaman who was you know does all these practices consistently all day and all night long his whole life. He's in a different frequency, so he goes out to the cliff and for days on end he sees something way out there on the ocean and he says, "Look, there's there's a ship out there." Mm. Well, the other tribal people, they're not in his frequency because, you know, they kind of let him do this, the work and bring it to them. Uh, they're still very intelligent and have great gifts, but they don't see anything. And in fact, he keeps warning them, there's a ship coming. There's people from another part of the world coming. Prepare, prepare. They don't see them until they're literally on the beach attacking them. Hmm because that's the frequency that they can perceive in. That's where they're oscillating at in their vibrational state. It doesn't mean the ship didn't exist. It just means that they couldn't perceive it. So that's where we are now. We're starting in our physical reality to vibrate at a high enough rate where we can open up our telescope a little bit more. Hmm. We're we just getting to that fourth and fifth dimension. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And I want to mention uh, your movie that you co-produced. That's how I first came to know of you and our good friend, uh, John Yost. Uh, the film was called Alien Abduction Answers. Uh, and this is you and the big guy himself. Amazing. I Amazing. Love that Maybe doctor. tell us a little bit about that film and uh, your role within it. Yeah, he's, he's about half that size now. Uh, he's not as big a guy as he was, which he's glad about, but he, it's not the way to do it. Uh, he, yeah, he, that's not the way to lose weight. Yeah. He's battling <laughs> pancreatic cancer, but right. he's winning, which is awesome. And that's a valid point. I mean, before the show, we were just briefly chatting and I was thinking, you know, I, I need to give some case examples of where this actually worked. And I can't think mm -hmm. of a better case example than mm -hmm. this gentleman right here, John Yost. He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, which mm -hmm. if anybody knows about cancer is not the one you want to get. And Debs did a healing session with, I don't know how many people were there. I logged in as well. You could noticeably feel the energy change. And John, his cancer saturation is going down. I mean, most people do not survive. And he is getting better exclusively as a result of what you have done. So 
I'm well, a believer just yeah. seeing it work for somebody else. But, but tell us a bit about the film and well, John. Yeah, I tell people I don't do anything. I just hold space for them to do it themselves. And he and what that does is it gives them enough energy to to explore many different therapies and things that common people don't know about. They just they get cancer, they go to the doctor, and they get chemotherapy or radiation. Yeah, and that's it. But but he is literally he's his life has been changed. And so the movie is uh, it has a, a, a questionable name. I didn't even like the name when he came up with it. But it's it, it's on purpose. It's to appeal to people who are like all about you know the scary aliens and and, and there are uh, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people maybe, who have had encounters that they don't understand and that are uh, feel traumatizing to them. As his did, he had a, an experience when he was seven years old. He didn't uh, quite understand it. And then it was imprinted with the fear of his parents. Um, and he was told to never speak about it again. He lied about it for his whole life. And it became, a, it, his life was terrible. He felt inside because he was not authentic. And so the work that we did together with quantum hypnotherapy he was so courageous and he was so brilliant. I wasn't up for it at first, but he had the idea to do his session on film. He's like, I want to, I'm a filmmaker. I want to film this live. And, and I'm like, absolutely. We don't do that. <laughs> you know, I don't really let anybody else in the room, you know, but he talked me into it and we, uh, we filmed it real time. And it was the beginning of the film he had the idea to have a film because it's like, well, maybe other people can be helped by this, or at least I can look back on it and see, you know? So uh, then what happened in the session was so profound and so undeniable that he was making contact with other versions of himself and the highest version of himself. It just, you can see it on the film when he goes into what we call the higher self part of the session, um, where he goes into his source self. He's sitting there on a couch and he's in trance, his eyes are closed and he's talking like a little seven-year-old boy and going through his experience. And, and finally we, we kind of transition and I ask to speak to his higher self and instantly the body gets real big and sits up tall and then his eyes open and he speaks in third person about himself and gives forth all of this wisdom and explanation about what it was and about what this is all about, what contact and, and the abduction scenario is all about. It's really a call to action for people to save their planet and start to come together and be unified. It's incredible. So huge healing during the session for him personally, but afterwards he's like, oh my gosh, there's so much more to this than I thought. You think any of your other clients would like to come on? And I said, I don't know, they're pretty private, but we finally, we did. We got a lot of my clients. Everybody I think in the movie, other than Whitley Streeper are my clients. And so we've got all these different experiences and they're talking about how, what it seems like when it happened first. And then when they go into the session, what they see clearly and report back. And, and this is my life over and over again. I get people who have these horrible experiences and they come out of it going, wow, my brain translated that in a really weird way. It was nothing. Yeah. Or are these, are these the folks here? 
Yep, there they are. That's that. Those are all of the experiencers. Uh, they're all my chosen family, by the way. I love each and every one of them, and we're very close. In fact, most of them were at that retreat that I just that we showed that picture of. Yeah, uh, right here. Yeah, they're, they're in that room, lying down. So, uh, but the the movie has had a profound effect on people. There, we were very careful from start to finish, and still are about the energy that we are in before we do anything with the movie. Before the, the even the person making the little, you know, the lettering or anything, you have to be in a very positive, very high vibe state, not angry or, or you know, fearful or anything. And so there's, there's all this beautiful energy in this movie. It's literally, again, it's like a carrier wave for this deeper information. And it's waking people up and people are just constantly uh, in contact with us about this. There, there are two others coming. It's, it's a trilogy, actually. It's yeah. a building up of the information. But, uh, but it is on hold because he is, you know, he's taken a sidestep to having a direct experience of having this devastating type of cancer, which I'm sure is a call to action for him to use his creative forces to maybe make a film that bust the lid off of the illusion of our of our healthcare system here. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the film is called Alien Abduction Answers. I've personally seen it. I highly recommend it. I don't often recommend films because they're so subjective, but this film is so well done. I think it would change your life, even if you're not a believer of the sort of abduction experiences. Give it a watch with an open mind. I think, uh, you know, it, it would change your mind. And Debs, I wanted to ask if people want to learn more about you, follow your work, contact you, where can they get a hold of you and learn more about your projects? Sure. Um, you can get a hold of me by just typing in the name Debs Shakti anywhere. D-E-B-Z-S-H-A-K-T-I. My website is DebsShakti.com. My YouTube channel is Deb Shakti. All my social media platforms are, are Deb Shakti. So you can just do that. Um, or you can just go to the website and be directed to any of these things. Um, you know, my phone number's out there. My email's out there. I, I love to hear from people. I love to help people. And uh, it just, it's, it's my jam. So thank you for letting me come on and, and gab with you for a while and don't really remember what i said but i hope it was a word it was great it was <laughs> yeah i'm sure we'll do this again because we can't really encompass this topic in an hour and a half episode but it's a good introduction to people that maybe are very science or analytical minded it's okay to go to that spiritual realm mm -hmm. let some of that go and just try to learn more about yourself not in a, a find god kind of way just how about a find you kind of way yeah treat yourself as that god and you'd be amazed what comes out of that Exactly. I don't think it's a choice between science and spirituality, if you no. will. I I don't think it's a, a this or that. I think it is both and. I, I think it's both and. And so even the, the abduction experience or, uh, you know, close encounter experience, just to take that as a as a uh, one little demonstration, it's it's mainly symbolic from your higher versions of the self to start looking at other things and not get stuck in one rut. When you get stuck in a rut and just like this with blinders on, you don't grow very much. And yeah. I think you don't have very much fun either. 
Mm, that's well it. said. Any closing thoughts, Marquise, before we go? Yeah, I mean, I will say that, you know, you mentioned about how this is a this is a science thing as well. Uh, and this is for you. Um, keep in mind. And I, and I really want people to think about the fact that if you just look at the go, go to a bookstore. Right. And every book that talks about meditation and mindfulness and these ideas of of perceiving things that are just that are that are not able to be measured. They talk about this in like the highest echelon of like human performance, whether it be athletes that talk about this stuff or CEOs and business people that own massive multi-billion dollar companies. They're all doing this. They're all they're all getting into the mindfulness practice, the transcendental meditations, the, these ideas of downloads. They're doing it. You should be able to take it, take advantage of those benefits as well, because I mean, they say there's something to it. They say it's what helped drive their success and keeps them grounded while they're running around, like doing all these different things. So I don't think you should dismiss it. I think that the most successful and accomplished people in life are doing it and you should take advantage of that too. Yeah. Well said, I, I'm an award-winning athlete in multi, mm. multi, uh, athletic pursuits in my life. And I'm five feet tall. I'm a woman. I should not have been able to do some of the things I've done. But it's these practices that have given me the edge. The edge. You start to believe that you really do have more than what is, you know, presented to you in the physical. And indeed, that edge isn't physical at all. It's energy. And so... When you have that energy, you can do anything you want. You are, and you won't make a mistake. You are infinitely and unlimited in your scope of being. And that's my main message to people. Beautiful. Amazing. Well, thank you again so much, Debs, for taking some time out of your day to chat with us. We'd love to have you back again. And uh, everybody check out DebShakti.com. She is one of our favorite people in the world. And yeah. uh, that about brings today's show to a close. So behalf of Marquis Williams, Deb Shakti, and myself, Louis Borges. I want to thank you all for joining us today. We wish you good health. Take care of each other. And bye for now.